welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is back and he's continuing in our series on Galatians. If you want to watch the video of this message or listen to this week's worship, you can do that on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or you can do that on our Brookwood Church app. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. as you are. Come as you are. He takes you just like you are. And we will symbolize that. You need some help back here, don't you? Yes, sir. As we observe the Lord's Supper toward the end of this message. Today we conclude our series, our survey of Galatians, which I called Living free. And this morning's message is entitled, The Law of Christ. If you take out your outline, the theme verse is found there on the top. It's the second verse of Galatians chapter 6, which is what we will address today. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Now, the letter of Galatians, as, as you know, and I appreciate your consistency, your constancy to read, to come, to learn, because Paul has been, boy, he has really been hammering these issues, and it's, fairly, it's a fairly tight subject matter that he's dealing with, and he just repeats it over and over and explains it different ways. But he's dealt with whether a Christian once being born again, must still obey the law of Moses. And in this closing chapter of Galatians, he actually replaces the law of Moses with the law of Christ. So we'll discover this morning, what is the law of Christ? Well, first, the first point is that the law of Christ or obeying the law of Christ is displaying concern for others. Now, if you have the B-A-B, which is what translation? Bible available at Brookwood. Yes, New Living Translation, but the Bible available at Brookwood. It will be on page 941. Now, last week we looked at, in chapter 5, beginning about verse 15, Paul was contrasting living according to the flesh And being led by the Spirit. Now remember the flesh is everything you are, everything you were before the Spirit of God is added to you. He remains in you, but He gives you new birth and births the Spirit in you. See, we're not born spiritually alive. We're born physically alive. We're born spiritually dead until we're regenerated, until we're born again, until we're born from above, is a literal translation of John 3. And that flesh includes the physical body, 
But it also includes the mind, the memory, the emotions. Because your mind, your memory, your emotions occupies space. It's spatial. It's tangible. It's physiological. That's why you can touch a brain with an electrode and someone will remember something that they had long forgotten. Because it's still there. Now those things will control your life today. And when the Spirit comes in, that's where the competition comes from. All you experienced, all you were before the Spirit came, and now the war is there. It's not two natures. You, are, you have one identity in Christ, but you still are dragging flesh that is slowly being redeemed by the Spirit, but it won't be completed in this life. That's a quick summary of last week's message. But the point is, if we're born again, are we gaining a greater awareness of the Holy Spirit? Are you? What about it, Steve? Because that spiritual growth is gaining a greater awareness, a greater sensitivity, a greater willingness to be led by the Spirit that you now recognize. The next message series will be Experiencing God. I urge you, I, would, I implore you, I will even plead with you to buy a workbook and come along with us as we study a very great series. I didn't write it. It's a wonderful series to help us gain greater awareness of God's presence and how God works so we can join with him. They'll be selling them in the concourse. We start on the 15th, so go ahead. Now, here in Galatians 6, Paul first stresses helping, not condemning Christians caught in sin. Verse 1, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, now see what's implied there. What's implied there is not this person just decided they are flagrantly going to sin. It's that this person is born again, has a desire to please God, and yet falls into sin, is overcome. And a lot of it is that, again, that wrestling with the flesh, those old addictions, those old habits that are just planted in us and are only coming with great resistance, coming out with great resistance by the Spirit. So if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly. Now, some of you have a different word there. What is it? Spiritual. That's probably a more literal translation. You who are spiritual, which means not only you possess the Holy Spirit, but you have some maturity. You have some experience with the Spirit. So you who are godly, you who are spiritual, should gently and humbly lead that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Now, remember, these Judaizers were emphasizing that even after coming to Christ, you had to obey the law of Moses. If you were a Gentile, that meant you start with circumcision, but you also keep the other law. But all of the law 
and all of the emphasis of the Judaizers was on outward behavior. It was on external appearance. And Paul is stressing that Christians shouldn't be concerned with inspecting each other's actions. Rather, we should be concerned with rescuing believers who have fallen into sin and not with an arrogant, judgmental, superior attitude that comes from comparison. See, the keepers of the law want to be sure that everybody sees them as keepers of the law. So their focus is on self, outward behavior. But Paul's saying, don't be concerned about that. Rather, spend your time and energy helping each other. And do so with a humble, with an honest awareness that you too are susceptible to sin. Galatians 6 verse 2. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. Some translations don't say share each other's burdens. They say what? Bear. Bear each other's burdens. Some say carry, right? Yeah, carry. So to share or to bear, other translations, or to carry, is really to become like Jesus. Because Jesus is an ultimate burden bearer. He carried our sin. He didn't just give us an example. He didn't just tell us what we should do or the prayer we should pray. If you read it, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus actually became our sin. You understand this? Every sin you ever committed, he experienced. After experiencing it personally, then he was punished fully for it. Which is the only way he could fulfill the law of Moses for you. But you can understand, if he took all of your sin, which includes all of your unbelief, and the period of unbelief in your life, all of that sin was infused into him. He actually felt it. He experienced it. When he was in the, in the garden, remember he said, God, take from me what? This bitter cup. Well, the bitter cup, according to Isaiah, was the dregs of sin. Because see, you know, don't you, thousands of people were crucified. Thousands of people. So it wasn't that Jesus was just more scared of the physical pain than anyone else. It wasn't the physical pain at all. It was that he was going to experience sin individually, personally, and then be beaten for the sin. That's how he fulfilled the law of Moses. If he had any sin of his own, he could not have been resurrected because he would have been punished killed for his own sin and couldn't have died for ours. 
the law of Christ in a broad sense does mean all of Jesus' teaching. But, but more specifically, it refers to the command to love your neighbor as yourself. And if we love our neighbor, we won't harm them in any way, will we? If we love our neighbor, and sometimes that neighbor is our spouse, our friend, our parent, our child, our, truly our neighbor, then we will obey all of God's law about how we're to treat them. Verse 3, if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Now, Paul is pressing us to examine ourselves honestly. And say, who am I helping? And he implies that our unwillingness to aid is due to what? Come on, say it. Selfishness, pride, self-centeredness. How about this one? Unwillingness to be inconvenienced. I got too much to do. I got too many games to watch. I got too much. I got travel. I got, man, I'm, I'm tailgating. But here's the point. If you're so consumed with all your hobbies and stuff and all that, you don't have any time to help anybody, do you? And you certainly don't want to spend any money to help anybody. But, but let me tell you a secret. Anybody ever help anybody? Let me see a hand. Steve, was that person you helped easy to help? Well, did it not require any time? It requires great time, often money, certainly sacrifice, and may bring suffering into your life. Because when you care and someone is running from God, you will suffer along with them as they run away. And what God's saying is, if you don't have any time, if you don't want to be bothered, if you don't, you know, it's just inconvenient. He's saying, you're not that important. But he's also saying, you're not willing to serve. You know, there's a whole lot of Christians. I mean, just look, if, this was the, if these were the only Christians that lived in Greenville, Simpsonville, there would be enough of us to impact this town, wouldn't there? And if you add all the Christians across the country, there's enough of us to impact this culture, right? Then why is our culture devolving? 
Why is it growing more and more corrupt? Why is, is sin considered good and righteousness considered bad? Because we've been too busy to impact anybody in sin. Well, they might not like me. Well, they might say something mean to me. Well, well, well you know, this, it's not that easy. Try crucifixion. That's just a little piece of you dying to self for the benefit of somebody else. You know, I believe if we had a little bit of courage, I believe we could avert a whole lot of sin. Divorce, abortions, adultery. Because you know what? People get into this stuff. They send signals before they get into it. Do you know it? But we look away. Because we're too important to have to receive somebody's negative words toward us. Well, that's what the law of Christ is. It's being willing to sacrifice to help somebody else. Are you willing? Who's willing? Who's willing to suffer for somebody else? Now, I want to see them. Let's just assume God's vision is dimming. So I want those hands high. Let me see them high. But really what I want you to do is I want you to see that hand. Are you willing to ask God to give you someone to sacrifice for to help? Are you? Now, be careful. Be careful. Because God answers that prayer almost always. The law of Christ is, doing, is also doing what is good. Verse 4. Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. That doesn't mean mind your own business. What that means is be sure you got the plank out of your eye before you come pulling specks out of others. But we're supposed to pull the specks out of others, right? See, in other words, mind your own business isn't obeying the law of Christ. Because, see, your job, what you're called to, is to help rescue, to spread the good news. And don't say, well, he's worse than me. Well, have you ever thought about this? We don't really know what we look like from God's perspective. We, I mean, we have a few pet sins we think are the worst. When reality is the mere fact that we're looking down on somebody, it's probably the worst. Because it's the farthest from his heart we can possibly be. Paul 
Paul encouraged these Galatians and us to view each other as allies, as partners, not as competitors. I'm not, I, I mean, what's the value in me saying, well, I'm, you know, you're worse than me. I'm not as bad as she is, or I'm not as bad as he, he is. If we are even taking that step, we're already in the wrong place, right? Because the question is always, Spirit, what do you want to show me about myself? Each one of us is expected by God to do his or her part to further God's kingdom. Not to just be sure we look good in other people's eyes. You know, it can be a full-time job trying to make sure everybody's all right with you. You know that? It's exhausting, isn't it? But it's interesting isn't it, how when you get concerned with helping someone else's life, you don't have time to pay attention to your own. And your life suddenly brings glory to God. And this responsibility includes caring about God's Word, learning God's Word, being sensitive to the Spirit. But see, the Spirit, if you say, well, sometimes I can't sense the Spirit, well, then follow the Word because the Word and the Spirit are never inconsistent. Do we value God's Word? Do you read it? Do you value people teaching God's Word? Do you support the people that God has called to teach His Word and encourage spiritual development in our lives? You know, sometimes you hear in churches, well, they're going to hold you accountable. I don't, I, it isn't that I dislike that. I really detest that word. We're not about holding accountable. That's me inspecting you. What I need to be doing is loving you relationally. And that feels a whole lot different, doesn't it? If somebody says, let me help you get back to where God wants you. Instead of, look what you've done. That, that never helped me. Did it, does it help you? Verse 6. Those who, are taught, who taught the Word of God should provide for their teachers sharing all good things with them. Now, he's, you mean, what's he saying? He's saying that we're supposed to support the pastors and teachers. That's exactly what he's saying. Now, is it money? Well, in our culture, it's mostly money, but it used to be give them a pig. I've had people bring me eggs and stuff like that. And Dennis is here you know, Dennis said, well, you got a piggery in Liberia. And there is. There's a piggery named after me in Liberia. <laughs> but I hadn't gotten any access to the, any bacon. <laughs> but I also told him when I showed up there a few years ago, somebody gave me a chicken to honor me, and I want to know who has my chicken. <laughs> but I got a chicken anyway. In fact, I was there when the two of them first met. They were first around each other. Vanilla was a school teacher, and four school teachers were spending an extended period in Liberia. Now, I didn't realize all that he and she, and, you know, I didn't realize romance was in the air. 
But apparently it was. And well, they're spreading churches there. You can tell that they're <laughs> they're expanding the kingdom. <laughs> Everybody, do your part. Is my but. but but I do want to say this sincerity, sincerely. I want to thank you for your generosity that has allowed me, allowed our pastors, our staff, to use our lives for God's work. To study, to learn so we can teach. But I want to, I want to also encourage you. We have assembled a, a fine staff who are marked by humility and industry and are motivated to serve. And for those of you that have been here a while, you know this, but the reason we don't plant satellites, I mean, we have the resources to plant satellites, but we just feel like, Different people should be able to serve different areas without a big church stepping on top of them. And we've planted some churches and we've assisted some churches and we feel like that's better. But we just have spent our resources because you either are building buildings or you're hiring staff. You can't do both over and over. And we have hired staff because we feel like people need more than a you know, a song and a sermon on Sunday morning. If you have real needs, then you need experienced people to help you, whether it be through addictions or depression or grief or those times in life that are so tragic. And so that's why we have the staff we do is because we want to be present in all of life's significant and difficult situations. And, and, and we want to minister to every age. Parents, if you have children and your children say, well, I don't learn anything. I want you to understand, they're not telling you the truth. They're just being teenagers. Don't fall for that. You need your children to be influenced by adults who love God and will love them. Because the day's coming when you're not going to be around. And you want to hope that there's as much truth planted in them by whoever will do it as possible. As possible. So I urge you, take advantage. But if you want to bring eggs, you go ahead. <laughs> my, my neighborhood won't let me have a chicken or I would want that. In fact, some of my neighbors don't even like the bushes we plant, but you know. Verse 7, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. In other words, you'll reap what you sow. And those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, remember, sinful nature is a bad translation. What's this word? Flesh. And flesh is what you were before you were born again. Flesh is body, mind, emotion. It's the whole of you before the Spirit is birthed into you. So you still have a lot of that, see? And that's why where you get these desires that are wrong and urges. And because 
you got to keep submitting to the Spirit, and the Spirit will change you. But He does it, He does it gradually. Prayer, fasting, transformation prayer all help. Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature, their flesh, will harvest decay and death from the flesh. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. And everlasting life has happened to already if you're born again. You see that? If you're born again, you have changed more already than you will change after you die. Because you're a new creature. But have you discerned the Spirit's presence? When we live to please the Spirit, we harvest spiritual blessings that is related to eternal life, but also God blesses us in many material ways too. We're His children. He gives us the desires of our heart. But the question for us is, are we led by the Spirit? Do we use our time, our money, whatever resources we have where the Spirit directs? Look in your checking account. Look at your schedule. Are you living a life led by the Spirit? Are you really living a worldly life and you come to church sometimes? completely different. It's completely different. Verse 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Any of you trying to help somebody, but you've been at it for a long time. And you are ready to give up. Mm -mm. God wants us to have difficult issues that don't resolve quickly. Because we don't grow and develop spiritually if all we have is quick resolving issues. So that irritating person that you have is probably God's blessing to you. Because he's exposing the weaknesses and letting you have an opportunity to surrender to him. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Are you willing? Are you willing for God to use you this very week? Are you willing? Let me see those hands again. Who's willing? Now watch out. Because I already told you, it won't be easy. And it might be expensive. But it will certainly cost you time, money, perhaps stress, prayer, worry. And all those things cause you to follow after God. The law of Christ also is demonstrated on the cross. Now, Paul likely dictated this letter to a scribe. His custom was to add just a one-line closing and sign his name. See that in several of his letters. 
But the Galatians, he was so concerned about this issue of them understanding what it meant to be saved by grace and not slip back into this rule keeping and thinking that they had to somehow merit their salvation. That here, he wrote the whole last paragraph, which is unlike what he did in other letters. And he begins in verse 11. It's all caps in your, in your Bibles because he's, he's writing it real large. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Now, I think he wrote large. Why? Couldn't see. You don't have to agree with me, but there was something going on, and I think it was vision problems because he even said you would have plucked out your eyes for me. And I think vision problems were his thorn in the flesh that kept him humble. As God used him greatly, he had some struggles to keep him dependent. You know what? Some of you may wonder, why do I have this constant problem? It may be God wants you to stay connected to him. Well, won't he get rid of it? Probably not. Probably not. Because he wants you to stay connected. Stay connected. So Paul again confronted the Judaizers for their false teaching. And he explained what their motivation was. It was more related to pride and conceit than any desire to lead people to Christ. Because in reality, when you lead people to Christ, you have to set them free, see, and let them be led by the Spirit. But if I'm one of these controlling folks, then I want people still under me. So their motivation is not growing people and handing them off to God. It's keeping them under themselves. Verse 12. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. See, they're worried about the Jews. They don't want any personal hassles. They're, they're self-centered. They're dishonest. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. Circumcision was an easy one to point out. But they just would ignore the other parts of the law, particularly those that were less visible. They were hypocritical. They were insincere. They only want you to be circumcised so they can brag about it. Look what we got them to do. Because you, can you imagine a more painful, threatening thing to do for an adult? And they want to claim you as their disciples. Again, ego. And then Paul reasserted the significance of the cross. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. Paul's not interested in what the world had to offer. He died to the world. The world died to him. He lived only to serve Christ and to extend God's kingdom. Philippians 1.21, y'all know that one, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And Paul then summarized the main theme of this letter one more time, beginning in verse 15. 
It doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's grace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. For they're the new people of God. See, God's people included Jews and Gentiles. Anyone who embraced Jesus by faith and was born again. There's only one real issue, folks. Are you born again? The Jews had all these laws trying to to be right with God. No one ever became right with God by obeying rules. By faith, the Spirit of God gave them new birth, and they were born again. They were born from above. Have you been born again? Have you been born from above? See, and then he says, these are the new people of God. The people of God weren't Jews. The people of God were those who embraced Christ by faith and were born again. Now, some folks are just still so determined about the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, and they're the people of God. Well, I do believe that God made promises to the Jews that he still keeps. Their land, they have a place of prominence with him. But being Jewish isn't equal to being born again. Jews can be born again, but guess what? They have to be born again the same way as Gentiles, by the Spirit of God. So the people of God are Jews and Gentiles who've been born again in Christ. And guess what? That makes you the new people of God. Equal with Jews. Really different than Jews if the Jews aren't born again. What matters is are you born again? Not were you baptized at 8, 9, 10. Not have you walked an aisle. Not have you prayed a prayer. Not have you raised a hand. All those might be well motivated. The question is are you born again? It's the only important question. And Paul's saying that. And we celebrate our unity of faith and spirit when we gather at the Lord's table. You heard Robert sing about that. We, we share in the sacrifice of Jesus. It's called communion as well as the Lord's Supper. And it, it, is, it means we hold something in common. But what we hold in common is Jesus died only once and it included us. And so we remember his one death. 1 Corinthians 10 at verse 16 says this. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Think about the people of Israel. Weren't they united by eating the sacrifice at the altar, one body. And so we share in one body together and we're personally related. 
we're connected to each other. We may not even look alike. We may have different racial backgrounds. We may have different cultural backgrounds. We may be from other parts of the world. But if we share Christ, that's the most connected you can be with a person. And because of that, we're called to love each other sacrificially in the Lord. And we symbolize that in the Lord's Supper. So open your sachet and take out the bread and prepare your hearts. At 1 Corinthians 11, at verse 23, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. For all things come from God. And then he broke it in pieces. And he said, this is my body, which is given or broken or sacrificed for you. Y'all raise your hands and Robert will get you the elements. And I want you to think about that as they pass out a few people. Christ came, knew you, knew your life, knew your actions, knew your words, knew your deeds, owned them all personally. And then was beaten for every scintilla of sin that you committed. He said, I own this. Now punish me for him. Punish me for her. One day we face God. I don't know exactly how it'll happen, but I think something like this. And God says, Why should I allow you into heaven? And Christ, who's standing nearby, will say, Oh, that one belongs to me. Oh, no, this woman, she, she belongs to me. I died for her. She's all clean. I died for him. He's, he's, been, he's been washed. Will he say that for you? If so, then I want you to know that his body's broken for you. And you do this to remember him. Then take out your cup. Peel off the top. In the same way, he took the cup of wine and after supper, after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed in my blood. Now, this was likely the third cup. There were four cups in the Passover meal, the Seder supper. We don't think Jesus drank the fourth. 
Because he said, remember, I won't drink this again until I return at the wedding feast of the Lamb. But the third cup is the cup of redemption. And so this agreement between us and God was sealed in his blood. The blood represented the life of Christ. Poured out for the forgiveness of sin. And he said, do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time, every time you eat this bread, every time you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. When we take part in this, I mean, unfortunately, we've taken it so many times, we can miss the significance. But I hope that God will speak to you clearly and that you will feel the sacrifice of Christ for you personally. Only you. Only you, Perry. Each one of us individually, personally, fully, Completely, we're announcing his death until he returns again. Let's worship together. Will you live in remembrance? That's one way. That's that's one way to live led by the Spirit. You live in remembrance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Our, our counselors will be here. They'll be in the care connection room. If you want to pray with someone, if you want someone to anoint you with oil for healing, buy your workbooks, I urge you, so that we can grow to experience God together and enjoy your Labor Day. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do this is by getting connected here at Brookwood. Feel free to email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326 to get in contact with our Connections team. You can also find our message archives on our website and on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.